Hey guys, welcome to a special, special, special edition of the Inside Scoop. My mind and body have already been fed with this conversation. It's so exciting. I wish I would have started hitting record an hour ago. I'm sitting down with Adam Maraca, the founder of Wamba Development, who also has a son playing at uh, for uh, Columbus Crew as a professional. And as a matter of fact, we're going to do a speed round interview today. And, and Adam, I got to invite you back on because he's actually going to see his son play. Family, friends, members of the community are all going to be there. So we're not going to keep you long. But let me, Adam, but let me give you a little context about what the show is going to be about. And then I want you to introduce yourself. I do a podcast. It's called The Inside Scoop. Part of the journey is about some of the things I do with my sons and sharing tips along the way that I've learned over the last 10 years and try my best to go into a lot of detail. But I always joke, I haven't raised any professionals. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I've seen a professional in real life. So I've, I do believe that some of the things I've experienced have some value, but hey, I ain't raised a professional. My oldest son is 13. And I promise my listeners, that I would find a knowledgeable parent who has. And this is going to be a wonderful conversation. And I'm just gonna pick your brain, Adam, and we want the conversation to go in the direction that you feel is most important to share with our families. So introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Adam Araka. I'm the founder of uh, Waba Development. Um, we're in Lake Zurich, Illinois. We're a little outside of Chicago. Uh, the Chicagoland market is a, is a great, great football, great soccer market. Um, we, uh, we try to develop the things that the academies in the area don't have the time to develop. Uh, we're a holistic uh, training center. We're a holistic development. And to me, what holistic means is kind of think of the yin and the yang, how they're, you know, how they're like this connected one is mind one is body and they're totally connected so we don't just do skills training we don't just do athletic training we have a, a full leadership program uh, that does character development and and all kinds of different training uh, we our, our player development model uh, has eight factors to it so we focus on the on the physical side on physical tactical and technical on the uh, mind or mental side, on uh, uh, psych uh, psychological, social, and intellectual. Uh, those are six of the factors, They're all inter intertwined. And then that sits on a base of environmental, and then something at the top that we call it, which we could talk about a little bit later. But that environmental uh, takes shape in a lot of different ways. Uh, environmental is home environment. Environmental is club, is school, is community. Um, uh, it, environment is almost everything er, Everything that they do. Um, what we've tried to do here is we've tried to give our players uh, a holistic environment where they can come. And we see that social function happening all the time. We see um, character development and so uh, uh, intellectual development just flourish. Uh, we have uh, you can see behind us we have a library uh, in our in our leadership program. We have a different book uh, that the players read each month. 
and we have special guests that 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 come in uh, and and talk about the book. Um, some some great books. Uh, Angela Duckworth uh, and her book Grit uh, is on our is on our reading list. Make Your Bed uh, by uh, Admiral William McRaven. All all of our leadership kids uh, read um, a book called uh, What's Within You uh, by Tom Lillig. Uh, they read. Tom came in and did a book review on his book, which was great. And, and that was a really treat. That was a really big treat because besides being a, a, an author and part of a, 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 a great foundation, um, Tom also happens to be the director of Stoneward Advertising, who does the advertising for U.S. Soccer, uh, Copa America, and the Women's League. So he, he just enriched our, our athletes with, with wonderful stories and information. So uh, it's, it's not just about technical skills. It's about so many, so many different things. Um, we, had, uh, uh, we had Russell Payne uh, come in, uh, who was uh, uh, the assistant coach of the last uh, U.S. national team uh, appearances. Um, I guess uh, interim, interim assistant coach. Uh, he came in and he reviewed a book called Win in the Dark. Fabulous, fabulous, uh, uh, fabulous event. Um, very impactful. Uh, we had uh, uh, Nelson Rodriguez, the, uh, um, uh, the chief of staff of all of MLS, uh, suggested uh, that we, that we uh, read a book called Legacy, uh, 18, uh, 18 Lessons in Leadership. Which which is great for leadership thing, and it's great with you know Nelson being being somebody who's who's been a leader for most of his life. Um, present that um, at the same time we got um, we got the author of the book to give a little video uh, presentation to us. So real impactful things, not just about soccer, uh, and not just about. Uh, the technical parts of soccer, the physical parts of soccer, very, very holistic, kind of, kind of neat. That is absolutely wonderful. As you were speaking, before you mentioned the library, I was looking like I was juxtaposing the jerseys and the library in the mirror. I think all three of those are extremely important when terms of development. And what we're going to promise, what I'm going to promise my listeners are, we're going to put together a, a Wamba development reading list. Because one of the things I do with my sons, which they hate, is I forced them to read 10 minutes on the way to practice. And it's good. And we're going to talk about how you squeeze in a little bit of development like this, those little habits, those atomic habits, and they add up to hours and hours of time. So they read uh, 10 minutes before practice, on the way to practice, or 10 minutes on the way to a game. Absolutely. On the way back, they get to veg out and do what they want. It adds up. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put together a reading list. We'll put your logo on it, make it really nice, send it out to our um, listeners so they can contact you if they have questions a nice reading list uh so that our children have something that can inspire them and nice books that they can read now absolutely neil, so in our in our initial conversation you said hey neil let's start with what what would be the most important thing to parents who are raising competitive and not so competitive athletes so let's jump into that conversation you were telling us a story about your son cole when he was itty bitty tiny. So let's start there. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, so we, we live in a typical suburban setting, right? Uh, you know, suburbia USA. Uh, Cole was uh, four or five 
and it was time to bring him to the community center and introduce him to, to team sports. Besides maybe what we did in the backyard or, or, or what have you, it was time to, to introduce him. We, we, we thought it was time. So we chose two sports uh, and that's all they really had to offer. So I guess the sports chose us, right? And, and what they had to offer was baseball and basketball. So we show up to the, the, uh, the community center and they have a bunch of uh, three, four, five, maybe six-year-olds uh, running around and they're trying to teach them sports. Well, I, I got to tell you, Neil, it was painful. It was painful. Cole, Cole, Cole just didn't have a lot of agility. Uh, he didn't understand the, the sports. Um, his eye-hand coordination uh, wasn't really good. I had, I had mentioned to you before, kind of the running joke between uh, my wife and I is when it was time for that, you know, for that session to happen, we'd be like, oh, honey, I have something scheduled. You'll have to take in. And she's like, oh, I got a manicure. You know how hard it is to get, you know, manicure with so, somebody. And, and, and we'd have this, uh, you know, this, this back and forth. Um, uh, my, my wife said to me, honey, you got to do something. You got to do something. You coached our older son. Uh, you know a lot about athletics. Um, you got to do something. So I, I started out on a, on, a, on, a, on a basic program of athleticism, of agility, of hand-eye coordination. Uh, the, the neat thing about it that I, that I never, that I haven't mentioned to you, a neat thing about it is I incorporated that uh, athleticism uh, with math and math teaching. So we were doing athleticism and math teaching. And uh, um, math really is one of the, the foundations. And what we did with math was the same foundation that we believe uh, you should do with, uh, with sports and athletics. And it really was, was based around uh, practice and, and uh, good practice and making sure that uh, the practice that you're doing is deliberate practice. Um, so, so we started to, you know, started to, to work on that. Um, Cole played his first uh, soccer game um, somewhere, somewhere on, uh, at the end of four years old is when he had his first soccer game. Um, he had his first uh, pro, uh, you know, pro outing um, on August 7th uh, of last year when he was 16 years old. Uh, he uh, uh, played for the Columbus Crew too, uh, their second team. Uh, he came in, uh, did a pretty pretty good job for his first time. Um, in that in that um, you know in that time frame, uh, about eleven years, you know, twelve year time frame, that kind of thing. Uh, we happened to track a lot of that time on a computer program. I, I taught him how to build a, a database called FileMaker Pro, and he tracked all the activity uh, that he did for the, you know, for certain years, uh, about seven years of it, every athletic activity and soccer-related activity, he put in that database. And, wow. and I got to tell you, we, we added up all that time, and we estimated the, the, the years that we missed by, you know, by what uh, the years that we had were. and. Uh, from his first soccer game uh, to his uh, pro debut at 16, he put in a little over 11,000 hours of practice. Wow. 
Okay, so I'm taking my notes. So 11K <laughs> from four to 16, and I'm gonna do the math later, but that's that's amazing. So let me let me unpack one thing. So from the time your wife said, hey, you really need to help him, he's struggling. When you decided to start helping him, because you said you had an older son and you had been coaching, did you kind of have an idea formulated on how you were going to help him or were you fumbling around and learning as you go as well? You, you know, Neil, a little bit of both. I'm still learning as I go right now. So, <laughs> you know, and sometimes I, I fumble around too. You know, we, we, in, we invent new things every day. We, we borrow different things from, from other programs, other people every day. Um, sometimes they're hits, sometimes they're mistakes. Um, but one of the things that I, you know, that I, that I do a lot and, uh, my wife does this a lot. I, 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 I call her the super researcher, you know, you, you, you want something research, ask my wife, you know, okay. and, and I, I, I do it. I do it, uh, at a pretty high level as well. So I started researching the things that I thought he needed. Um, I, I remember one of the first, um, uh, one of the first books that I read was a book called The Goldmine Effect. And, okay, we're gonna put that in there. Yeah. Okay, The Goldmine Effect. Uh, Rasmus Ankerson, um, who who's a really interesting story in his in his own. I think he was seventeen years old. Uh, he he kind of uh, um, had nowhere else to go in football, and. Uh, he decided, you know, I guess he he didn't make the cut, and he decided to uh, he decided to go do some research. And what he noticed was around the world there were certain hot spots, hotbeds of of big success. And he went to these different hotbeds and wanted to find out why. And uh, what you know, um, uh, the 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 Korean women and how how they succeeded golf, right? Um, some of the Kenyan runners and, and how many Olympic medals they have. And in, in football, the Brazilians. Um, at, the, at the time, I remember just being floored by the concept that Brazil had more pro athletes in soccer in the top five leagues than the top five nations below them combined. Wow. Right. Wow. Right. That has to say something. There's something about that. Um, I, I, I remember as a thousand and something is, is, is what they had. And that was, that was pretty impactful. And even to this day, that, that, that question is in my mind. Why, 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 what, what was it? And one, one of the big factors that I believe it was, was, was the base of, of Waba's uh, eight factor player development model environmental right if you look at a lot of brazilians and where they get their skills where they get their aerial skills um where they get them is on sand and they're playing footy ball on sand all the time they're playing you know beach soccer on sand well you know when we look at that and we look at what we're trying to do in the U.S., we're kind of trying to do the opposite. You know, here's the standard. The grass has to be cut this tall or it has to be G3 turf. And, and you know, the infill has to be raked every three days and, and, and that kind of thing. And our kids are used to playing on these pristine surfaces. Well, you start playing on sand and, man, your muscles hurt. All those little 
you know, all those little stabilizer muscles are getting worked to the max. Your balance is getting great. Um, you can't really pass a ball on the sand. You really have to lift it a little bit off the sand. So that that beautiful aerial play that they have, I think, is very, very much contributed to some of the environment that they have. So environmental was something that was was really, you know, really key to me. Um, so I, you know, I, I read this book and I'm like, wow, I got to, th there's a lot of different things I got to do for coal. One of the things that, that I read in the book and, and, and it was a lot of years ago, so hopefully I have the numbers right. Yeah. But, but something that really floored me is in the book, it said that the average Brazilian kid, not, not the Brazilian kid in the top Academy, you know, not, you know, not the kid at Santos, but the average uh, played 2.6 hours of soccer every day. Okay. So what that, what that meant is that they got to 10,000 hours in their late teens. The average American with the, with the amount of soccer they were playing at the time when I, you know, when I calculated that kind of thing was getting, was getting to that 10,000 hour mark uh, somewhere in their twenties. What a, what a huge difference. Was that the key? It was my, you know, it was my question. Was that the key between a thousand soccer players in the, you know, in the top five leagues at the time, the, the number that sticks in my head is we had 54 players in those leagues from the U S versus wow. their thousand and, and, and change. So, you know, that was, that was my, my first thought. And then, and then, I, you know, then I started to read Malcolm Gladwell's books and, and, and that, that little 10,000 hour concept. So this database that I put together with Cole to track time, what we did is we, we did a formula, a little algorithm that I said to him, you know, when do you want to become a pro? He said, by the time I'm 18, I'm like, okay, let's, let's say you need these, according to Malcolm at the time, you need these yeah. 10,000 hours by the time you turn 18. Okay. Uh, so we figured out a formula for that and how many hours he had to date. And every day he would go in and, and type in his, uh, his data and it would say, you know, you're negative seven from, you know, historically you're negative seven hours from the goal, you know, you're negative 10, you're negative 12 as the weeks go by. And what we found was um, in certain times um, that number would, would, would get, you know, it would become a negative number. You know, you're short of your goal. And then, and then what would happen is in the summertime, we would spend so much time with the ball that, that his numbers would, would, would grow and grow and grow. Um, we, we called that chart, that the database, the 10,000 hour chart. Okay. Oh, wow. And then when, when, when I met, when, when I met, um, um, when I met Anders Ericsson, and I was telling him about it. He got a little cranky with me because apparently, uh, uh, apparently, he felt that Malcolm Gladwell maligned his research and and coined this ten thousand hour rule that 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 Anders totally didn't believe in. There's so many other factors that you can't you can't do that. So um, we renamed our database uh, the Deliberate Practice Chart so that uh, so that I didn't I didn't get in, in, in trouble there. So. Yeah, and and I get that. I think I think I like both of them. And I also think what I talk about in a podcast a lot is 
you know, really be clear about the areas you control. So what, what, I like what you call it, a deliberate practice or 10,000 hours is fine, but that's an area that you control with the understanding that there's gonna be environment, there's gonna be luck, there's gonna be physicality, some things you, in genetics, some things you don't control. But the great, the thing that I always emphasize is if you get the things you can control right, that has a magical way of helping develop some of those things you don't control. As a matter of fact, it ends up changing your environment because you told me stories about how Cole won this competition. He performed well here in the, in the environment that he was in actually responded positively to his dedication to the things he could control. But, but Adam, what I wanna do is dig real deep for our new parents, especially. He is four, he is five. Was Wamba, had you had already created Wamba, first of all, by um, then? No, Wamba came out of our basement. And okay. Wamba stands for, the dude on the, on the screen, wall, ball. Oh, That's cool. Wamba stands for. And, and one of the things that we say is, all you need is a wall and a ball, and you can get good, right? Yeah. You can do a lot of things with a wall and a ball. And, you know, we, we see historically a lot of people uh, playing playing wall ball type games and and practicing with a, a wall. Uh, a, a wall doesn't call in sick. There if, you go. If you give a wall a bad pass, it gives a bad pass right back to you, right? So so it's a it's a great it's a great partner, you know. So so then let me dig in this because I know how you do things will have evolved. But if you for our new parents, four, five, six year old Cole, mm -hmm. they, if they saw you what would training your son and even mm -hmm. i'm going to use that term loosely because i'm not sure if that's how you thought about it completely yep. what would they have seen so they would have seen a lot of things they would have seen um in our in our foyer at home um we had a foyer that that was a a decent sized foyer that was set up in a really interesting way where there's one door here going into one room and one door going into the dining room here and those doorways were perfect goals, okay? <laughs> but we, we, you know, his, his foot skills were mediocre, right? And, and uh, my wife would have been like off the hook if we would have been kicking around a soccer ball into those rooms. So it's, you know, some of the skills started out with rolled up socks, big, you know, four pairs of socks rolled up and we would be playing, we'd be playing 1v1 soccer, right? Some of some of it would be that. One one of the things that 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 we also had is in our basement uh, when we when we got our house, um, it was kind of a negative. We had an unfinished basement, and yeah. we were like, oh, one of these days we'll finish it. We went to we went to see cost of finishing it, and and all that kind of thing. And I guess when we bought it, we never realized these beams came down really low. That once you soften it, all that kind of thing, you're you're gonna have a dungeon, not a basement. You know, so. So we left it unfinished, right? And 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 you know, years went on, and we have a little octagon room going up uh, up the floors. Well, that octagon room, in a poured concrete foundation, had five sides to it. Amazing passing walls. So he would go down there in the unfinished basement and and use it as passing walls. Uh, we'd go in the backyard. Uh, I, I can't, I can't speak enough for rebounders. 
and good rebounders, but not the greatest rebounders. We 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 recommend uh, Tech T E K K rebounders. They're 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 just fabulous. And we had one in the in the basement. We had one in the backyard. He would spend time working on the on the rebounder. He would do skills in the foyer if he didn't like being in the basement. Um, one of you know one of the things early on that I that I really pushed was if you really want to get into soccer and you want to be good at it, you better bring your soccer ball everywhere. So here was here was the crazy thing. He went to bring his soccer ball to school, right? Uh, once I think he was like seven years old or something. We brought a soccer ball to school, and we would go to the bus stop. And we would purposely get to the bus stop a little bit early. That's about, you know, the habits that we're talking about. We'd get to the bus stop a little early. There weren't a lot of kids at the bus stop, maybe one, usually just us. And what would we do? We would play soccer. And, and probably 15 or 20 minutes every day that we'd get soccer, we'd play a little soccer. You know, that might not sound like a lot, but if you take 20 minutes a day, five days a week, you got, a, you know, 100 hours uh, uh you know, I mean, a hundred minutes, uh, an hour and, you know, two thirds, you multiply that times 40, you know, school weeks in a year. Now, now all of a sudden you're pushing 50 hours of, of practice, just li these little things that add up. And that's, that's the atomic habits that you were talking about. You know, it's a little funny how we, how things parallel and you're validating some of the things that I thought about intuitively. And I love that because you've been there and done that. I did the exact same thing with my boys at the bus stop because when they first started school and you know how you have, when you have your older one, especially you follow all the rules. So we would get to the bus stop 15 minutes early. Yeah. And what I used to do was have them read. And then after that, I said, okay, let's do it this way. Once they start, start a club soccer, you read 15 minutes uh, on two days and in two days, I would do like a little ball uh, ball work with them, like wall passing or pass to them or play with them for nice. 15 minutes. And you, everything you said is exactly right. There were hardly any other kids. They were so young that they didn't really care. And my sons just thought about it as a fun routine and mm -hmm. they didn't think anything of it. And I got that idea from, um, from reading about, I think I read something about Barack Obama had to read in the morning before his mom went to work. And then I also did slowly start understanding that we in America are in a situation where the sport to become really skilled at the sport, we have to do a few things that are not culturally normal mm -hmm. to try mm -hmm. to make up this time because they're just not playing three hours after school. So I did exactly. understand that. Exactly. I did understand that. And but you're taking it to another level now. 2.6 hours of the Brazilians, you know, every day. How do you, how do you get your 2.6 hours in? How do you get your 2.6 hours? So how did you handle, and we're going to jump around a little bit. Okay. The, I'm going to say criticism, but I'm really going to say lack of understanding. Oh, he's so young. You're doing too much, blah, blah, blah. However you want to frame it, that kind of feedback. How are you thinking about getting the right balance? How are you hearing sort of what he was saying and you knew that it was not too much or you, or, or what, how would you like to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, I really tried to look to him and to see what he was enjoying, how he was feeling. Right. Um, 
you know, people use the word burnout and, and I, I, I almost, to me, I almost don't believe in burnout, right? Um, burnout is when you're doing something that isn't giving you excitement and joy anymore. So you can, you can do something 80 hours a week that gives you excitement and joy and you're good just as long as, you know, just as long as you're, you're getting good nutrition, sleep, all, all that kind of thing. To the same extent, you could do something three hours a week that, that you're not getting joy from and you're burnt out on, you know? So, so it really has to do with, uh, as a parent, we're, we're kind of looking at the frame, you know? So I can't tell you the number of people who thought I was crazy. You know, I was, sometimes I was that dad, you, you, you know what I mean? And in, in, in so many ways, Neil, I can't tell you. Um, when, when Cole was about, about four or five years old, um, I came up with a list of 50 mantras. Um, and I had him memorize them. And I did it for a couple different reasons. One, I knew our school system was, was totally against rot memorization. And, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, you're, you're against rot memorization. The brain functions like a muscle when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, when it comes to adapting to things. So if you don't use it for rot memorization, if you don't use it for memorization, you're not going to be good at it. So I, I, I had these 50 mantras. Um, I actually print them out on cards, uh, little flashcards. And I made extra copies and handed them out to people. Okay, so maybe that was a little over the over the top, uh, uh, maybe. Um, but but Cole, uh, by the time he was five five and a half, he had them all memorized. Uh, the ultimate measure of man is not where he stands in moments of comfort, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. Carpe diem, you know. Um, uh, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is ten percent. Be extraordinary. It's kind of crazy seeing a little five-year-old, you know, run around saying these things, you know, quoting Martin Luther King, FDR, you know. But what we did was we then applied them to situations. I would say to him later on, you know, something would happen. I'd say, well, do you have a mantra for that? And he'd be like, hmm, how about this? And sometimes he'd hit it. Sometimes sometimes he wouldn't. Like, like for instance, drop him off. Uh, 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 drop them off at school. Didn't take the bus to school a couple of days. I drop them off, especially when it was test day, when he was having a big test. Uh, that that dropping him off would save about forty five minutes, so you get extra sleep. We could do we do prep for his test. So I drop him off at school before a test and, and be like, "You have a mantra for this?" And he'd be like, mm, "And he, he'd he'd try a couple, and uh, and he he didn't get it at first." And I said, "How about?" Measure twice, cut once. It is all. Oh, measure twice, cut once. Oh, I get it, Dad. And I, maybe maybe it was seven or something. I, I don't remember the exact age. But he'd be like, yeah, yeah. Read the question twice. Answer it, you know, in your head. And then fill it in and push the button on, on the computer. Exactly. So uh, it's kind of, you know, kind of neat in that way. But we tied, we tied all these mantras uh to 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 development we tried all these mantra tied all these mantras to motivation and i i i don't think he really um i don't think he traditionally got burnt burnt out uh on that 
So let's talk about, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up soon because I know you have to run. Let's talk about your typical week. So I shared uh, a graphic that I put together in the ebook that I wrote, just because part of what I'm trying to do is go beyond the fluff. And I don't mean this in a condescending way to my other listeners, but really detail. And in that ebook I wrote, I said, hey, roughly speaking, my oldest son, who is a U13, yeah, well, he'll be going into U14, is getting about 11 hours. Okay. But that actually varies. It can go from 11 to 14. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep, Down yep. To, I said 11 to 14. It can go to eight to 14 to four, it doesn't really capture it because like for now, for the month of July, the season is over. He's on a rest for about three weeks, you know, just mm-hmm. veg out, relax. So it doesn't, it's not so, so easy just to say it exactly like this, but yeah. what I did personally, and I explained this to my sons, just like uh, you, you talked about your strategic management experience. I looked at to the best of my ability, what some of the academies were doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. In Europe, in Europe, you know, I would listen to all the podcasts. Uh, some of my so-called competitors, even though I don't think they are, I don't think they think of me as a competitor. But they do great podcasts where they interview people from around the world, mm-hmm. academies, and I would listen to that. And sometimes they would drop how many hours their kids, the kids are training, or what the kids were doing. And I told my sons, I said, "Your dad is not crazy. This is." It's not uncommon for a uh, for an academy kid to have a training in the morning and the school to work around them. Then they might have something in the afternoon and then or or a game or something. So that was kind of how we started thinking about it. So and, and so I'm saying all that to say, let's you can pick the age, but not too old, but sort of foundation age, and tell us what a typical week might look like. But you can answer how you want. Okay, so so let's go back to that 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 FileMaker Pro database, the deliberate practice chart, right? Our formula, when you when you took that formula, and you looked at really how it would break it down by the week. Um, what you would see is that if you have twenty weeks of uh, twenty hours of practice in a week, fifty weeks in a year, forget the other two weeks because you you took a little time off. Um, that's a thousand hours in a year. You do that for 10 years from seven to 17 and you hit 10,000 hours. Now, I'm in, in all due respect to Anders Ericsson, I'm not saying it's 10,000 hours that, uh, you know, that you need. But, you know, it's interesting because I think um, um, I think Angela Duckworth in her in her, you know, passion and perseverance over a long period of time, I think she says 10 years. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that kind of all point to the same, you know, point to the same commitment level, right? Or that or thereabouts. So if you take 20 hours a week, that's about, that's about uh, what we were looking at um, from about, oh, eight years old on. And then, so I'm going to put my listeners I'm going to think about it from the perspective of my listeners, because that's a lot. So now I'm thinking about from an operational perspective, and I know that's the wrong word, but how are you getting those 20 hours in? From a time management perspective. Yeah, time management perspective. How are you getting those 20 hours in? So it's interesting that you say that because um, we we teach all all of our leadership kids here, we teach them something called the Eisenhower Matrix 
which is an importance urgency grid, and they chart importance and urgency. And it's a decision-making grid because the fact is some things have to go. Some things you have to say, this, this isn't important, this isn't urgent, it's, it's, it's quadrant four, let's not focus on playing Fortnite, right? There, there, there has to be some things that, that go in that 24-hour day. Um, but one of the ways that we got it in, and, 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 and in all fairness, when I say 20 hours a week, I, I probably need to explain that. Um, so I believe there are many different things that Cole needed. Uh, to become an elite athlete, to become a, a pro soccer player. And we counted those in those 20 hours uh, a week. Um, uh, I said the word dance to him and he went, I don't want to dance. Right. And uh, at, at family events, it became not an option. It became, you had to try. You just have to try period. You have to give it a try. And then um, I found a, a, a boys only hip hop class for him. And that's how I introduced him to dance. And he liked it. It was fun. Then I got a co-ed hip hop uh, class that he went to. Uh, then we went to Fred Astaire dancing. And, and it, it was, it was kind of hilarious. I don't know, he's, he's eight years old or something like that, nine years old. And there's this six foot woman where, where, you know, he's not even up to her knee, it seems like, in heels, right? And she's teaching him ballroom dancing. And he learned, you know, cha-cha, uh, uh, ballroom dancing. Uh, we, we then got somebody to come to the house uh, to teach him some Latin dancing. So those activities, we consider soccer training and development. That's part of those, those 20 hours. And, and, and much, like, much like you, um, if he read something soccer-oriented, right? Um, I, I would have liked to make reading uh, a, a half hour for every hour developmentally, um, because you can read for hours and is it really going to move that dial? Um, but my other desire of him becoming a a, a reader, uh, we gave him a full hour for every hour he read. So if he read a book on soccer, uh, anything that had to do with health, anything that had to do with uh, working out, any anything like that, we we gave him an hour for that. Uh, we put him in a tumbling class. Um, and, and he got, he got hour for hour for that. He did Taekwondo, which, which I think is a, a tremendous thing. You know, I, I, I contribute, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic's, you know, aerobatic skills, uh, to him living in a bad neighborhood, wanting to protect himself and, and becoming a black belt in Taekwondo, you know, took a negative thing and turned it into, into maybe one of the, you know, one of the top hundred greatest soccer players in our time um so so that's 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 one of the the things there's a lot of things that had to do with that um we did some judo because i thought judo was good for uh you know for for balancing he had to learn how to fall and roll judo's judo's great for that um and then in terms of those other hours obviously you had uh, academy practice um one of the things that that we did, and I've talked to you about this before, is at WABA, we have something called ball calibration. And what ball calibration is, pretty simple, um, it's technical skills warm-ups, technical skills training before a game or uh, before practice. So um, here, here in, in academies, 
uh, during the during the, the the regular season, they practice four times a week and they have a game on the weekend. Okay, so you have five events. Um, he would come early to that event, uh, early to that practice, and he would put in a, at least a half hour on average of ball calibration of of of, of warming up. Well, that did a few different things for Emil. One thing it did for him was it made it so that when that first whistle blew, when those first eyes from the coach really were looking at him, other boys were taking bad first touches because they, they weren't technically warmed up. He wasn't. He was technically warmed up. So that, that, that helped him in that way. But, you know, it's, that, it's, that, it's those habits again. You, you, do the, you do the arithmetic. Half hour times five two and a half hours, let's say 40, 40 weeks in a year, because it, it's an easy multiplication. That's a hundred hours, right? hundred hours times 10 years. You just added a thousand of those 11,000 hours just by getting to practice early. So that's part of how your day, how your day looks. Um, we, we, we tried to take a soccer ball everywhere we went. When we traveled, he would he would do skills in the hotel room. I, I have hundreds of videos. Every single airport that we are in, I have juggling videos. It's 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 kind of uh, one day I'll do put people it look like Ooh, yeah, people on? do people do. I have this fabulous one in Las Vegas with all the slot machines behind him and the Las Vegas sign. Uh, it's it's and, and he's doing a really nice routine ball skills. I have another one in Narita, Japan, where they have these beautiful walking, you know, like the, uh, the, the moving walkways and he's doing all kinds of foot skills, you know, coming against the, uh, uh, the walkways. Uh, I, I didn't realize at the time that was probably disrespectful, but, uh, but I, I've got it from when he was 10 or, or, or what have you. So part of that day is putting together all those times. Um, and then, um, Besides, besides the hour and a half practice, the 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 thirty minute ball calibration, the taking the ball, uh, you know, to the bus, um, we tried to incorporate the school environment. So he tried to bring a ball to school. I think I once told told you this that he tried to bring a ball to school. They wouldn't let him. They wouldn't let him have a soccer ball in school. You know, imagine that that going down in England. That wouldn't happen in England. You know, Argentina. Come on, the headmaster would get fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they would, uh, they would not like that at all, right? Uh, so I had to go to the principal, and I had to ask the principal for special permission for him to bring a ball to school so he could practice his soccer. So, um, so you know, during recess, that's that's a that's a tough thing, Neil, because you know, at recess, eighty percent of the kids who are athletic, ninety percent. They're 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 playing basketball, they're throwing around a football, that kind of thing, and and he's there kicking a ball against the wall. You you've you've got to be pretty strong and desirous up here to go against that that norm, you know. Yeah. So if I was talking to just the average parent and we just did a basic calculation, right? If because the way my boys do it, and let's say, let's assume that we're going to do four days. So my older one is getting to the point where he'll start doing some morning workouts next year because that's what he wants. Mm -hmm. So let's say three days a week, that's an hour and a half in the morning. We do the ball stuff before practice. So that gets you another 
at least two hours, maybe three hours there. Mm -hmm. You're slowly getting there. And then they're always playing and messing around after practice. Mm -hmm. And then we're very intentional about free play. We're very, I mean, my wife is African. We're very intentional about being in that environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You start getting close to that before you know it, but it is a commitment and there's no sugarcoating. So yeah. now let me ask you this. Do you remember Cole being uh, not making a team? Has he ever, in his youth, not pro, but youth career, showing up for tryout, sorry, you're not good enough for this particular, the A team. Do you remember that ever happening? So, so there were many setbacks along the way. Um, it, it wasn't as much as he didn't make a team. Um, as much as it was on a team, he might not have got what he wanted out of it. If, if, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so, um, when, when those times came, we, we just talked about, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta put more focus into it. Where... So, and, but let me ask you this, cause I'm trying to calibrate what you guys are doing to what the other kids are doing in the skill level. Mm -hmm. Did you ever, um, do you ever remember like viscerally seeing another kid that was more technical? Like, wow. Uh, only, uh, only in certain advanced aerial tricks where there was one, one boy on, uh, on an academy team that was, but for Cole, that's a challenge because he wasn't going to let that happen, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. So, so, you know, uh, uh, six months later, nine months later, there was. All right. There so was. now we're going to wrap it up with this. So let me, let me tell you about, oh, about just a little technical thing. Um, a little, a little, a little story. He was, he was nine years old. We were working on juggling. Okay. And we we were really working on it. Um, he he hit a juggling record, I believe, of 488, which was which was pretty good, right? And he was putting probably 45 minutes to an hour in a day just on juggling, right? And within a short period of time, um, he got a thousand, and I had it on video before you know while he was still nine years old, I believe, might have been eight years old. He got a a, a thousand and change. Um, a, a, I posted it on Facebook. Uh, a friend of ours, Rob Crane uh, from England, said sent me a little note. Tell Coley if he hits two thousand juggles, I'll buy him a signed uh, a drug butt T-shirt. I'm like, okay, you know, a jersey. I'm like, yeah. okay, Rob, for real, because you tell him that he's going to do it, right? So he hit a thousand and something, right? Rob made that offer. He came home. I told, this is a day later. I, I told him about the offer. He said, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll do it. Well, we, we had him draw a shirt. He had, to, he had to, you know, design a shirt, a t-shirt with little pens, part of getting creativity flowing in him. And the t-shirt said, Rob Crane, this 2000s for you. And it was like somebody on the t-shirt with a soccer ball or something. And he, he sat in our foyer juggling for about three hours that night 
with me videotaping it, okay, counting it, and he fell during it, and he hurt himself a little bit, you know, hurt himself. He's like, no, I'm pushing through, and he got 2,158 juggles at nine years old after, after the day before he got a thousand and something. Oh my God. Which, which, which was tremendous. So that's nine, right? He's 17 today. Guess what his juggling record is today. I don't even want to imagine. 2,158. Oh, <laughs> okay. And, and that, that, that really is part of a Waba philosophy actually, because once you can do 500 of those anytime you want with great quality, right? Good form, actually style and tempo. If you can do it that way, then it's time to move on to something that's more difficult. That's more skilled. That's more controlled. And every time that, that, that he would hit what we call mastery level, he would just make sure he can do that mastery anytime and move on and put something else in his locker. So that was going to be, that's a great, great transition into my last two questions. Now you leave the foundation phase. So, so remember, I'm asking you this as a parent too. I'm a listener, but I'm literally asking, now my son is 13. I consider him to be very technical. One thing I'm worried about is he does a lot of unopposed technical work with me, okay? Mm-hmm. But now how, what does his individual training look like as he gets more into those teenage years? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or or i don't know i don't even want to put anything in your mouth what, what so, how did you think about that so there was there was there's one concept and theory that we, that we, we had early on people think we're crazy about it you know i can't tell you all the negative comments i got on it um i we, me, now, we we now call it eyes up um uh, we uh you know have the term eyes up uh for for the the sessions that we do but what we would do is we would have him do freestyle foot skills, attacking foot skills. And uh, every day he would do five or 10 minutes of freestyle attacking foot skills in 30 second or one minute bursts. Okay. Take a break, do it again. Then uh, we went to him being blindfolded or closing. I his- saw a video of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People think it's crazy, but here's, here's, here's the thing, Neil. If you can do foot skills blindfolded, that means you've mastered the foot skills, first of all. So if there's no greater throughput to, to, to closing your eyes and doing it, at least it's motivating kids to, to master that skill. But here's, here's the thing that I believe. I believe that uh, things like echolocation that bats have, that, that people who are blind uh, uh, create, I believe that's just the body adapting, just, just adaptation at its best. And I believe that if you close your eyes and you start doing foot skills, your sense of touch, one of those senses enhances. So you can feel that ball on your foot way better because you're not looking at it, right? You're closing your eyes. Sensory deprivation leads to other senses in improving, depending on what you're, you know, what you're cutting out. The other thing is, if you close your eyes and the the ball is at your foot, you ha- your your mind has to visualize what it looks like. 
up, the ball's going here, the ball's going here. I touched it here. It must be going on this angle. So visualization starts to starts to improve. The other thing is, I think your your auditory senses improve. How did that ball touch? You know, think about a think about a laces volley, right? And a good laces volley. There's a ping to it that you could be closing your eyes and you could hear somebody hit a laces volley and you could say good strike, right? And then you could hear that thought on a laces volley and you're like, oh, you need to lock your ankle <laughs> or, or it hit your toe, right? You could almost tell just by the sound. So, so I believe that that eyes up is a, is a way to, to, to reach a higher level. Now, should that be in a foundation phase or, or a little bit older? Uh, wherever we can get it, but I, I think they should start younger. But now you're working toward a different level. The the other thing is, um, one one thing at 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 a younger age that I see missing in you know in U12s, U13s, U14s is real real good balance. And and uh, about six or seven years ago. We did a, 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 a not a formal study, but a little study, and the goal was to see why most things fail on the pitch. Why why are things failing? So um, we took about twenty hours of videos to watch and to analyze. And instead of analyzing and watching, you know, the kid doing a bicycle kick or you know this you know this great you know this great combination play, um, we 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 looked at all the problems, all the fails. And I started out with a couple columns in a spreadsheet and started checking off each one of these happenings and, and why it why it happened. Uh, all of a sudden, we started expanding those columns in the spreadsheet, and and it was like it was like huge. It was like oh my gosh! And then we're done with we're done with twenty or so hours of videos, and I looked at all of those columns and I said, well, this one's kind of like this. This one's kind of like this. Can I narrow it down? And I narrowed it down. And then what I what I found was that over 70% of all the fails had to do with two things. And I was like, wow. You, your eyes just opened up. I could see your ears. Perfectly. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm taking notes. We'll save it for next podcast. No, no I'm teasing. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> Tune in next week. Tune in next week. Um, so, so the 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 70% plus were two things one was balance and two was foot control and it led to a waba mantra if you can perfectly control your feet you can perf perfectly control the ball it's like one of those yeah well duh if you can perfectly control your feet you can perfectly control the ball of course but but what we've done is we've taken our athleticism program and we've really focused not on uh, not on just that gross motor skills and 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 those kind of things not strength but exactly where you place your foot when you're doing different exercises and uh, that the mat is the mat involved in that don't you have some kind of floor or is that something totally yeah, different so so all of the markings on our floor have very specific um uh you know, specific purposes in that foot placement. So for, for instance, you know, you look at the, uh, you look at uh, the FIFA 11 plus, you look at most warmups and 
coaches will have uh, players do open the gate, right? Pretty, pretty common dynamic warm-up thing to do. Well, what we've done is we've recreated open the gate with hurdles and specifics of where you need to place your feet and how your knee has to come. And instead of, you know, you watch open the gate, it's like floppy chicken all over the place. We're working on exact foot placement. We're working on making sure that you're opening your hips and you're getting that 90 degree perpendicular angle of your feet while you do open the gate. I see open the gate and, and your feet compared to each other are not at 90 degrees. They're all over the place. So we've taken so many different exercises, redesign them the wobbly. And it's about precision foot control. I think that's really important at, at, at your son's age, at your son's face. And I know it then, is. then what we've also done is we put something together we, we, we call ballistic balancing. Um, and ballistic balance, uh, we have over 40 different balance boards, crazy balance boards, and we do crazy things on them. And one of the reasons we do that goes back to one of those first books that I read about Brazil, right? I, I can't bring a sand pitch in here. We do go out and do sand exercises from time to time, but some of the balancing exercises and devices that we have here, I believe emulate that instability of sand. They become a greater balancing, greater strength, greater agility, and they also uh, have a side effect of injury prevention. A lot of the exercises that we do, you might see in, in recovery and, and rehabilitation exercises from injuries. Well, we wanna do them in advance, not after an injury happens. So let's fast forward, because I know you have to hop to your international tra travels, international trials. Mm -hmm. How did that even happen? And what was your experiences like? Um, that was, it was, it was pretty cool. Some of it had to do with um, uh, connections and, and um, social media and building up and, and reaching out to people, you know, all over the world to, to, to learn from. Um, the, the first, the first international, um, travel was, was to England for, with a pay to play travel. So that was international travel. Um, we did Greece tournaments and international travel, uh, did, did some, uh, Asian international travel. Um, and then we got invited. We, I, I say we, it's funny. Uh, Cole got invited, uh, to go to Fulham uh to 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 practice with them um uh it wasn't a a, 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 a trial where it was a six-week trial um we didn't have six weeks to do it but we we went there and that really gave us the first taste and flavor and it was really interesting because I, I i love fulham and I, I love some of their concepts and ideas um uh it was it was really a neat experience one of the things um, that we took away from Fulham is that, I'm sorry, is that we uh, took away from Fulham that the kids in the A Academy program, you know, the advanced Academy program, uh, they put in six hours a day and uh, about two blocks away across, across the pitch, there was a school that they would go to. 
in this six hours a day of of training. Um, How old were they? Um, the, the um, I want to. I I know they were they were fourteen to eighteen. I'm I'm not. Uh, I, I but that's good. Right. That's good. Right. Um, uh, Har Harvey Elliott was there at the time, um, training, um, uh, 14 to 18. So based on what you have seen in all your travels in the States and what you've seen in terms of talent, if you just had to take a straw gut feeling, did you see a, a step change in talent and ability with say a Fulham Academy kids versus what you're seeing back home? Uh, no, well, so here, here's the thing. Cole killed it at Fulham, <laughs> you know, so, so kind of, kind of hard, hard to say, you know, um, you know, so I want to answer that in a different way, because it's not just about what I saw at Fulham, but when you look at the U.S. and you look at how we do um, at, at, you know, U17, U19, U15, we, we do well. Cole's Columbus crew uh, team um, in the GA Cup recently uh, played against Manchester United and they beat Manchester United, you know, so, wow. so not a, not a problem there. When Cole was at Fulham, one of the Fulham coaches uh, took him to uh, Germany um, for a tournament and, uh, and uh, uh, Cole scored a beautiful goal against uh, Manchester United in the tournament which I, 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 you know, I didn't expect because my mind was, oh, you know, uh, Byron Levenkrusen was there and Brighton was there and, you know, Man U was there. There was, there was 13 Cat 1 Academies at that tournament. Um, so so we're, we're not that far off um, if, we, if we are off at all. I think one of the areas that, that we have been off, and I think MLS is doing a, a, a really good job of trying to bridge that gap and, and capitalism is, is doing a good job of, of pushing, you know, trying to, you know, push that, that gap is the bridge between, um, you know, between your U19s, your U17s and pro and MLS next pro it, it's in its second year is one of those bridges who, who knows where it'll be in five years, 10 years from now. But I, but I see it as a, as a, as a real positive thing. I, I think one of the, one of the issues is that in Europe, if you're really good at soccer, you continue through, you, you play soccer. When you're done with soccer, you go to college if you want, and it's free. In yeah. the U S you've got to make that big decision. You know, do I follow my heart, my desire, the riskier route of being a pro soccer player? Um, or, do you do you take the you know do you take the two hundred thousand three hundred thousand dollar soccer scholarship you know that's uh, that's a big difference so uh, give give the U.S. a bunch of years maybe ten years and and I I think I think we're there's a lot of things we can improve but we are stepping and moving in the right direction. All right, so we're going to end with this, Adam. You've been so gracious with your time. The last thing. It's at my heart. You obviously know this. What role do you believe what you do it did at home with Cole? And 
to an extension kind of so for you wamba is at home as well but you're talking to parents they have their child in these ultra competitive uh, environments what are you telling them about the 90 i call it the 97 percent. the 97 percent of the time they're not with the team they're not with the the club what it what does home life look like we talked about infusing culture and making soccer super accessible mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are you what are you telling parents if you had to give them some unsolicited advice on what home life is going to look like? Okay. However you would frame it. So stepping back a little bit, the 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 first thing I want to say is that I believe parents are the number one most important part of the formula. Hands down. And I'm not just talking about funding the development or chauffeuring the you know the athletes around. Uh, par parents are critical, critical part of it. And at Waba, one of the things we do, you come for a trial at Waba, uh, we don't want you to drop your kid off and go. Stay. We want you to watch and listen and learn. And I think uh, par part of it is parents need to become educated in, in this desire that their kids have and then, and then involved in it. Um, you know, parents have such an influence in so many different ways. Um, does, does the parent put the kids bag together and get everything ready for them? Or does the parent say, okay, what are you going to need tomorrow for your game? Let's put it together tonight. So setting those parameters, teaching those habits is critical. Um, what are you eating? You know, there's so many kids who just eat so poorly and, um, that, that starts at home and there's way, there's ways around that. Um, the sleep environment, you know, if kids aren't getting nine, 10 hours of sleep a night, they're, they're, they're sleep deprived. As an athlete, they're sleep deprived. So uh, pa parents are critical in that. In terms of training, maybe they haven't, um, they haven't played soccer, but they could learn the methodologies like our, like our fast practice of what good practice is. And they could, they could you know, support their, support their athletes in that way. Um, making sure they're not scrambling last minute to the field to get the kid running out, you know, putting on his uniform to get to practice, you know, let ball calibration happen. Be the one that's putting that stability in that environment. Uh, critical, critical, critical. Um, you know, some of the things that I think were most uh, rewarding and beneficial to Cole um, was some of the non-club things we did, the non-practice things we did. You know, today um, we've got about 60 WABA members going to SeatGeek Park uh, to watch the Crew 2 play uh, Fire 2 and, and uh, watch a game. You don't know how that adds a little bit of morsel to their love for the game and, and to what's happening. You know, do when you when you go on family vacation, if it's not a soccer vacation, do you stop at the local, you know, stadium? You know, uh, we we've been to some amazing amazing stadiums around, uh, uh, you know, around the world and around the country. Do you go and do that? So that's those are some of the ways that the parent can add to it. Does when does mom and dad sit down and watch a soccer game with the kid? You know what a it sounds basic, but it really, it really isn't, you know, did you buy them a, a you know, a book on, there's a, a beautiful book on David Beckham, 
it's like this this you know picture book you know full color glossy you know thick and 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 cool not a lot of reading but a lot of pictures um that that can be a motivator all these little things that that add up to a culture is is really key you know on their birthday what did their birthday cake look like was it in the shape of a soccer ball you know that that just that just starts building a heart you know so uh, Neil, there's so many things that you can do as a parent, and you are so influential as a parent. Guys, Neil Crawford, founder of Anytime Soccer Training. I have sat down with Adam, Adam Morocco. Did I get it right? Uh, Morocco. The founder. <laughs> I'm trying my best. That's all right. It gets butchered. Well, it's like my dad say, don't, I don't care what you call me, just call me. So <laughs> Wamba, the founder of Wamba Development, I'm going to put his information in the show notes. Adam has promised to make himself available if you guys have specific questions you want to follow. As a matter of fact, Adam, I want to thank you in advance because one of our listeners actually recommended that I reach out to you, even though we had a relationship, because you've taken time to share information like this with him. And so I really appreciate that. If folks have specific questions, He's a resource is available for you. If you're in that Chicagoland area, I strongly encourage you to check out what you guys are doing. The proof is in the pudding. He has a son who is passionate about the game, is obviously skillful. I don't think you have some secret sauce that you're hiding that you're using for coal, that you're not using for all the other kids that come to Wamba. I have seen tremendous re uh, results. When we go come up there for vacation, I'm going to have my boys come and check it out as well. Guys, this is Neil Crawford, founder of Anytime Soccer Training and also the host of the Inside Scoop. Adam, it's been a pleasure. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll try to um, catch it, catch the highlights on YouTube. We're cheering you on as well. Thank you very much, Neil. All right.